Welcome back, everyone, to Hello. the Movie Schmovie Podcast. Mm. What episode is this, Ronald? 45. 45. If you notice, <laughs> the, the one prior to this, we did that little half episode. Yeah, we did. At the, the, the great idea like of the Sir half. John Walker. I like that. We, yeah. we got fractional. Yeah. We did. It wasn't yeah. important enough to give the whole number, so we yeah. kind of gave it a half. But I, we got some good feedback. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm trying not to turn my uh, to turn my head. Don't become weird about it. <laughs> Don't be really awkward. He's Don't like, become Michael Keaton Batman about it. <laughs> right. He's like looking at me through the side of his face right now. Well, before we started recording, I gave Ronald a... Uh, I thought I was being really gentle, but apparently it was a stern lecture about... Now he's very yeah, apparent right. about not, it. Not turning his head uh, right. towards Steve. I feel Steve. like I have a neck cast on. Oh but I think we both look towards Steve for guidance <laughs> and kind of a paternal role in, guys, the, you in know, the podcast. I do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. do what I can. Literally and figuratively, right? I think that... <laughs> I think it covers the... We look towards you phys- physically. You said the word right, but you said it like you I were saying like, it wrong. <laughs> I said it figuratively. like a who has the top portion of the head open and you press down on my brain. All right. It's probably why I always have the hat on cover <laughs> right. that up, right? Because my brain is exposed. <laughs> a soft spot in your skull right. is exposed. So, so we're, we're going to get back to a, this is a, a straight up episode this yeah. time. Yeah. Getting into some deep, deep conversations. Oh. I don't even know where this is going to go right now. <laughs> I'm riled up. I feel like it's been a long I time. I packed a sleeping bag. <laughs> wow. It's not going to be an hour and a half and, episode, though. And a first aid kit. A first okay. aid kit. Yeah. Gotcha. Just in case uh, some fists start flying. So what movies have everybody seen um, besides the one we're going to cover? The ones we're going to cover? Well, I saw a uh, Adam Sandler film, the uh, most recent of uh, which one okay. was now on DVD, besides the one John's going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's My Boy, mm-hmm. which was uh, Andy Samberg. A lot of the normal Adam Sandler crew is in this film as well. Um, Leighton Meester's in it. But uh, I don't know. I'd heard a lot about the movie. I never got to see it in theaters, uh, so I figured I'd give it a chance. It's coming out on DVD soon. Thoughts? What, what really kind of made me want to like it or even try to see it and like it was the idea that, hey, this is another Adam Sandler R film. I absolutely have no interest in any of the other movies that he's really put out in the past five years. Um, I guess that very generic, broad, adult, PG, PG-13 family stuff like Jack and Jill and... Uh, I, f- I don't even remember Grown Ups, all those movies. But I guess the idea of going back to an R film made me think of movies like Happy Gilmore, you know, Billy Madison, movies that I really enjoyed when I was, you know, a teenager. Um, but this is not that movie. Um, it, it has the R <laughs> feel. They go for the language and, you know, there's boobs in it and there's, you know, you know, I guess the subject matter is kind of in line with those movies. But it's a weird blend of what those movies were in terms of how ripe and and, and fresh that comedy was back then mixed with his comedy now which is the you know what he tries to go for laughs in in movies like grown-ups and jack and joe and and it's super cheesy and a lot of things just fall flat in my opinion there are a couple funny scenes a couple funny beats andy samberg has a couple good moments i was gonna ask if andy samberg brought anything to it i like him a lot i feel i feel like there's moments where you almost feel like it's gonna he's gonna take over the scene Mm -hmm. but adam sandler's character is just so loud and so out there that i I don't think he has the chance to even step up and really kind of have an, have his own moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some funny little 80, like 80s references. And I mean, the whole idea in the movie is that Adam Sandler like had an affair with his high school math teacher, um, who, by the way, is played by Eva Amari, who is Susan Sarandon's daughter. Susan Sarandon plays the older version of her. Mm-hmm. Eva mm-hmm. Amari. Oh, my God. She is gorgeous. Really? You know who this girl is? Mm-mm. Look her up now. I definitely think I've seen her in something. She was in Californication with David Duchovny for a season. I don't How do you know spell the last name? I think it's A-M-A-R-R-I. 
But I mean, absolutely gorgeous. And then of course, Susan Sarandon looks amazing for her. This is age. like we actually for the first time we. we I stumped him. But we have a countdown to him yeah, saying something was, inappropriate about yeah, a woman because he's I'm actually speaking, he's, he's actually, looking it up. He's right looking now. her up on his iPad. No, I yeah. Haven't, I haven't, and um, uh, anyway, so you know that's the idea is that she, he has an affair with this teacher as a, as a student. I think he's like in middle school or something. How's it coming, Ronald? And uh, how do you spell her name? <laughs> I think it's A M A R R I. I'm not sure. Look up Susan Sarandon's daughter. Um, but anyway, he has a kid with her and, you know, he can't raise him. So Andy Samberg's character goes off, changes his name, starts a new life because he was a horrible father mm-hmm. and he finds him later on cause he needs money. And I mean, it's kind of like that whole situation. Oh, I know her. She looks a lot like her. Yeah. Which is why they probably have her playing. Man, she has a pair of dummies on her. <laughs> there okay, it is. There we go. We missed the little count then, but there it was. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with something about this movie. Yeah, please do. I'm going to let this statement sit in your chest. Sit in your souls. Adam Sandler is the white Eddie Murphy. Let it sink in. He used to make great movies. You're talking about wait, Andy Sand? Uh, wait. No, Adam Sandler. <laughs> okay. is there the, it is. Is the white Eddie Murphy? Well, I was about were, to say, were her big dummies? Yeah. Were they distracting you? Yeah, they you were. Mixed up just, the just call him. Just call him Andy Sandley. Or Andy something. Sandley. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's he's become Stanley Dandley. Sort of like a parody of himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 weird because it, whenever but I, I mean I don't know that I ever was privy to a moment when he wasn't a parody of himself. I think Eddie Murphy it, well, had kind of a uh, a period where he was like uh, you know like a viable leading man in movies that right. weren't like Eddie Murphy uh, yeah. movies yes, top to bottom. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and it, then he kind of went into what you might call a, a Sandler phase of yeah. doing these really lowbrow. Now it's like comics. weird. It, it's it's like these. He used to have dimensions to the comedy. Now it's just those weird, loud portions. Well, that's what the one thing. Does he do a crazy voice in this? Is he doing? Oh, absolutely. The whole film, he has this horrible, like Boston, (laughs) uh, like just raspy, like white trash voice. You know, you've probably seen it in another movie. I, 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 never has someone with more limited range done more like extreme (laughs) character work. You know, right? It's so weird. He's. I but advise stay away. I mean, if you fan. watch it, make sure your friend rents it. I mean, and I don't even. Don't pay I, for I, it. I'm coming off like I I hate Adam Sandler. I don't. I've th- I found I him funny him before. Oh, me I just too. I just feel me like too. he's one of those people that um that churns him out, and I think that you can really see that the effect of that on his career. That it's like there's no way, like the, the, none of them are big enough flops to stop him from making exactly. another. That's it. That, that's, that's, I guess yeah. he and some him, of them are huge. Yeah, you right. know, like grown ups. Yeah, massive success. There's already a sequel coming out. Right, for it. right. You so can't. wait for that. And he seems like a guy who works with his friends. And I mean, there's so yeah, many things about yeah. what he does that I, I would I like in theory. Yeah. But the actual movies just seem so lazy and uh, kind of uninspired. So well, I mean, it's, so it's that same kind of energy that it's, uh, to sort of piggyback on top of that. The movie that I saw that's not uh, uh, one of our big topics this week. I took Henry to go see uh, Hotel Transylvania. And, you know, I kind of knew it was going to be a lot of, like, bathroom humor and right. fart jokes and yeah. stuff like that, uh, just because I could tell it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't scream, like, Pixar quality or even DreamWorks quality, but the character design seemed kind of appealing, and I do think when you get the right comedy voice actors in a movie like that, there's always the chance that it could oh, be really be funny. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's not a lifeless movie at all, and in fact, visually, I think... Uh, the direction by, uh, I don't know if it's Jindy or Gindy, uh, Tartakovsky, yeah. the, the guy who created um, Samurai Jack and also did those 2D Clone Wars cartoons a few years back for oh, uh, yeah. Cartoon Network. Oh, yeah, those were and really then, I, you know, he was one of the people that created uh, Dexter's Laboratory, too. And there's another show he had called Symbiotic Titan. 
So he's a he's a, a very striking visual animation director, and this is the first thing I know of that he's done that was uh, 3D or you know full CG instead of 2D uh, animation. And it was visually there were some times where just you could tell the compositions or the the way that the camera moves were or the virtual camera moves were were created. It had a real energy to it, and it had a real. Uh, I don't know, just a, a a good sense of action in the sequences where you would have a lot of action. So I, and it's, it, it kept kind of visually, you know, kind of getting my attention back, even though the plot was, again, we've all seen those animated movies that you can sort of say, oh, this is kind of for grownups. This really felt like it was for very juvenile grownups. Yeah. And, and I ended up thinking to myself, kind of what you were saying, Steve, about uh, current Adam Sandler. It just started to strike me that, you know, this is not a... Uh, animated film. This is an Adam Sandler film that sort of happens, happens to be, be animated. Yep. Because, I mean, all the voice actors were, you know, it was David Spade and Kevin James and kind of his his crew. His crew yeah. And people that can be very funny. And there are moments that were genuinely funny. My son actually loved it. I mean, you know, he thinks he's right at farts are like bullseyes for him right, right now in terms of comedy value. So <laughs> funny. I'm, I'm um, kind of the same, same way. I'm Ronald, te- well, right? you know, I think a movie we're going to talk about in a minute here, which I think is a, a great film, has a fart joke in it. I, I haven't even seen that one, yeah. but I know what you're talking about. Yes. Man, I'm thinking. Yeah, he's uh, the master has a fart joke. Oh yes, it yes, did. it does. So light anyway, bulb, light bulb just went not, off. Not to oh, jump man. topics completely, there were a but, lot of weird... but it, there's good evidence that you can do a fart joke, uh, and it can you can have a classic film that has a fart joke in it. There's nothing against fart <laughs> right. jokes, but this uh, Hotel Transylvania is not an example of one that transcends the fart genre. Right, right. Um, I saw a movie mm. called Relentless Sword. <laughs> Man, this this John sees Hotel Transylvania. I see that's my boy, and you see Relentless Sword. Yeah, I feel like you always find these. You know, we're, I don't know. We're where do serious you find movie them? buffs here on this show. <laughs> this movie was crap. Man. I'm never. I'm not even going to talk about it for long. It was just a really bad movie with that was on wires. It's just I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. Is it? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Man. That's all you're going to tell us. You seem yeah, kind of brokenhearted it, about it. It was weird, man. It was like Let's uh, keep in mind you chose to watch it's it. It's cool. Uh, so, so the plot of it the You got past the title Relentless Sword and actually clicked <laughs> watch. I thought it was so that this guy <laughs> dies or so he thinks he does and he's like in this thing called Midheaven and he realizes that he wasn't supposed to be there. So then he meets his wife, who was murdered because she was a witch. Um, and uh, she, the thing is, when you go <laughs> that to that old story, but of course, <laughs> when you go to Midheaven, you don't have any memories of your your past as you live. So he's in love with this woman who doesn't remember him, has all these memories with her, had babies with her, and she doesn't remember anything. So it's like about that. That's a amazing. Like idea, mm-hmm. it started off amazing. Then I realized there was going to be no fighting in it. It's called Relentless Sword. The sword was used maybe three times in the movie. It was it was frustrating. So I do not suggest that movie. Wow. You, I feel depressed just from hearing that. I know, that story. story about mid-heaven, no memories. Right, it was really it's cool. Sad. It was a cool idea, and it just fell flat on his face. It was too much, too much CG. What made it cross your path? You know when you go to the mall and they have like the martial arts kiosk yeah mm-hmm. this guy's like you gotta see this movie this movie will blow your fucking mind he was talking through his teeth like you are <laughs> i'm really a big fan of talking through your teeth yeah to emphasize something it's, it, it it's works. an intensity it about it come, here, come over here let me just between you and me between you and me shut the hell up i love that anyway did he believe he you into buying that movie wrong? <laughs> right right so she bought it <laughs> she bought it she was convinced yeah. it was he, he bullied her into it yeah so we watched it and it was 
pure poop. Let me That's... tell you about our new releases. Yeah. <laughs> it was Mandarin, but it sounded like it had some Japanese. It was just very, I don't know. Poop that movie. All right. Well, that's three not so good films. Yes. And hopefully we can transition now. And I'll let you two take the first one because I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see this film yet, which I'm very sorry about. (laughs) Yeah. So you can have the pleasure of discussing it. I'll chime in with what I do in in as respectful and non spoilery a fashion as possible, Steve. Much appreciated. Uh, But we were talking about uh, possibly my most awaited movie of the year. And that's that's Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I was I was excited as well. You know, there will be blood, boogie mm-hmm. nights. I, I was excited. Yeah. Um, this was a bit different because it takes place in like what is it? Um, world after World War Two. He's moving slowly forward through history after uh, there <laughs> right. will be blood. So <laughs> right. there will be blood. You know, around the turn of the century, this right. mid century. Mid century. So it takes place in uh, right after World War Two. Yeah, pretty much begins right at the end of World War Two. Right, right. We're we're following uh, Freddie. Mm-hmm. And he's just gotten out out of the war. Well, before we see him even get out of the war, we know right from the beginning this this Freddy he's a weird guy. Oh yeah, he's mixing up like jet paint fuel and paint, paint thinner, paint. and yeah, making these <laughs> concoctions, and and that's his like alcohol. Mm-hmm. And and wow, it, it's basically a character study, man. He it's basically him put in the world and is mm-hmm. showing his life after this war, and he meets up with a very charismatic man through. Insane means he kind of just sneaks onto a boat. Yeah, he finds himself at a low point, and we've seen yeah, him very low. Sort of, you know, he has a couple of odd jobs along the way. You see that he's not—he's not like unemployable, mm-hmm. but he's got very self self defeating tendencies. So I think that at the heart of it, it's a character study of what it is that we do to people, mm-hmm. and who we give them we give them a task you throw them to the war and then it manufactures these very broken people mm-hmm. and then we just throw them into society we don't give them any extra opportunity any help really and then just kind of say live like you lived before yeah and that's that's very weird and and you seeing this guy kind of adjust i mean sure he he's troubled and but was he like that before? You kind of don't know. And, well, you get the sense that he was always a little bit troubled, but more so you sort of see what sort of person might be drawn to this this charismatic figure. And then you right. also see kind of how, and that's maybe the surprise to me, was how much it was also about how this charismatic figure kind of needs this this kind of other side of the coin. Like he, you know, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Lancaster Dodd, the master of the title, right. um, he... Uh, Although the title also kind of refers more to the just the concept of a master. I mean, in the movie, it seems like they get at that point that whoever you are, you may not think you serve anybody, but you serve somebody. You serve, so, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and and but Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is definitely this guy who's full of all this bluster. And when he gets in front of a crowd, he becomes you know this this other sort of person. But it's quite apparent from the beginning that when he meets Freddie Quell, he's not really using him. He seems kind of like he uses him in a sense, but more so he just wants him around him. It's like a friendship that yeah. that borders on an almost like it's like a platonic romance in a lot of ways. Like the, it never gets into anything strictly homoerotic, but there is this friendship between these two men that is, you know, what the what you were saying. It's a character study kind of about these these two men and how and how they're drawn to each other and kind of what happens when they're in each other's lives. Yeah. And it pretty much is the story of their time together. I think that um the, they're they were perfect as friends. For a very long time, I guess. Yeah, for that uh, window of time, but, right? Yeah, because of the 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 big contrast in their 
roles kind of they felt like their roles in in life so philip seymour hoffman had this group that he had to appease through his teachings and that that's a there's a bit of restraint that Mm -hmm. has to be exercised and he meets this guy that's the complete opposite that speaks his mind says whatever he feels and it impresses him in a way Mm -hmm. like he sees how weird he he is but he respects it um but i think that the the interesting part about it is he only really wanted one thing from him, and that was his undivided attention. Mm-hmm. And as you learn, really, uh, kind of midway through the movie, that's the that's kind of their fighting point. Like, you know, are you going to commit to this idea? Yeah. Are you going to be here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Are you gonna Are you gonna be around me? Are you gonna not do <laughs> some of the yeah. things that you're doing? Even though he sort of seems to want, like, for instance, when he meets him, he's got a flask of that. uh, Freddie's got a flask of his hooch that he's mixed mm -hmm. up on him. And we know Philip Seymour Hoffman has, uh, you know, he he drinks it Mm -hmm. and he likes it. So he's on one side, he's encouraging him to better himself. And on the other side, he's coming to him and saying, can I get some more of that delightful potion that you make? That kind of thing. So it's there's definitely a, a bit of that, you know, even the master like you said, Ronald, he's like he wants to be more like Freddie, but he kind of knows he can't. But rather than there being all this angst about him trying to be what he can't, he stays kind of in his role, but he definitely keeps Freddie around. I mean, he just seems to like having him with him, even though he knows he might do something or say something yeah. crazy, you know? He, I mean, and there's there are parts, if you listen to kind of the language between them, where he calls him an animal. Yeah. He calls him, and that that's weird. Like, I didn't think about how, how much that applied to the title Master. Like, there's like this. Yeah, yeah. He tried to tame him. He right. he he legitimately tried to tame him through uh, therapy, through these these ideas that he and had. even in his teachings. I don't know if you remember that part where you hear a bit of his recording of his teachings. He says, oh, "Mankind is not an animal. We are uh, we're above that crowd." Right. And and so he repeatedly kind of after knowing he thinks that he also kind of almost admires Freddie, but also obviously wants him to control his kind of. Yeah, animal side. There's a there's a there's a thing there's a thing too character study thing that I was thinking about too. Like, um, I think that we try to dignify things that too much mm-hmm. almost, and sometimes when it comes down to it, physicality and all that stuff really still comes into play. Like, I I know it's like a weird thing, but like people say, you know, I think that hitting somebody is a barbaric thing, mm-hmm. but some of those scenes. You couldn't do anything but hit a person. Well, in, you know in a I mean? sense, like, there's a lot of like slapping and there's some punching. But I would say that for a, a Paul Thomas Anderson film, the violence that you sort of expect, the kind of brutal explosions of violence that kind of resolve so many of his movies are either offstage or downplayed or there's it's different. It's more of an emotional violence in this mm-hmm. movie. But the threat of it, something terrible happening was present throughout. I think physical violence a lot of the times in movies like there will be blood didn't shake me up as much as this did. Yeah. Emotional violence right. is a heavier thing cuz it's oh, I would agree. it'd be really calm and mm-hmm. you'd see Freddie in the corner like, "Oh god, yeah. he's going to do something insane." And I, and and usually Freddie would do something funny. Like I yeah. found myself laughing yeah. at that character, not just at the performance, but laughing at what that character thinks is funny in the moment. Like he yeah. does some things cuz he can't help himself, and I was I was amused with I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm secretly hey, oh, too much like was, Freddie Quell. <laughs> I mean, like, he jerked off on the beach by himself, like, yeah. in public. Like, he he was an out-of-control person. Uh, and I, and I, 
there's one other thing, and this is like 20 seconds into the film, Steve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. I'm spoiling the first 20 seconds of the film Thank for you. Me. There's a scene, quick thing, where he's chopping up uh, coconuts on the beach, mm-hmm. and he's got his machete, and he's just sitting there doing it. And at one point, he like <laughs> takes, a, takes a whack at it. That was the sound effect of the. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> he takes a, takes a chunk out of a coconut, and then he like, you know, positions his machete, and then he like slides his hand over the top of the coconut, right where he was just slicing, and then kind of brings the machete down and just stops short of hitting his hand. And then kind of goes back to what he was doing. And so in the briefest seconds at the beginning of the movie, you realize this guy could do something really self-destructive. But just in that moment, you kind of see his mental state almost like at every moment he's considering doing the most inappropriate thing. And I have to say, I I have that voice inside me. It was great to see a movie that really deals with this type of individual. I think we all have that moment where you think the funniest thing to say is the most inappropriate thing or the most interesting thing to do would be technically the worst thing you could do at that moment. If you have this little voice in your head sometimes. And he was like that. He doesn't seem to have any barriers set up around that voice. That whole scene was really cool because it showed him by himself. Yeah. And then that scene, that was a scene right after it closely related yeah where there's like a lady a sand lady they created and he gets down on it and starts like having sex simulating sex and it was really funny for about for about 10 seconds yeah and then it just keeps going on and on and on and then that's that's essentially how all of his interactions are in the movie very excessive yeah crazy intense and joaquin phoenix yeah and him and uh, philip seymour hoffman yeah all their scenes were like Really good. Sometimes really hard to watch, right? Because it all had to do with this kind of the stirring of emotions. Like, and I, you know that scene where he gives him the processing, and we kind of get a little bit of an. In, the first time we really get Freddie kind of letting down his guard, mm-hmm. he's not cynical about what what Lancaster Dodd is trying to take him through. I mean, like again, even though he's this weird outsider guy, mm-hmm. when he gets involved in this cult, he's he doesn't totally buy into it, but he mm-hmm. doesn't. He doesn't fake it either. And so there's a few scenes where we really get to the heart and it was just two actors across the table from each other. So I guess what I'm saying, Steve, is I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's pretty good. You should go see it. Yeah, all right, there you go. <laughs> In a nutshell. Very good movie. I hear a lot of people saying, I don't know if I liked it, but it was a great movie. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I've heard that a lot. Like I, A lot of reviews that I've read <clears throat> and even some ratings I've seen online seems to be like that's what a lot of it is. I don't. It's either they loved it or hated it, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of that. I don't know if I liked it, but it was like gorgeous yeah. or, you know, the action, yeah. the acting is really great. So you referenced it earlier and I was going to ask both of you, I mean, having not seen it still. The fart joke? N- no, no, not the <laughs> fart joke. We've already discussed that. I knew about that before Ryan even realized what you were talking about. So I would like to point that out and I haven't even seen the movie. Fart joke. Yeah, fart joke. Um, but you kind of, you kind of like kind of touched on it a little bit, John. But so you see Lancaster's character as the master. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you guys talk about that a little more? I mean, because I've read some reviews which kind of go the other way. It kind of goes back and forth. It's a weird thing. Yeah, it goes back and forth. And I think that with anybody in a position of power, um, particularly people that have kind of set themselves up to be that way, mm-hmm. he takes power in the places that he can. Right. You know what I mean? And he loses it in the places that he can. He can't control him. Mm-hmm. But the places that he can, like, for example, there's a scene where the scenes where he's questioned by the people that he can control or have some sort of impact on the dynamic of the conversation, he changes it. But the, the, the it's almost like you continually see him retreating to these zones where he does have complete control. And then when he has the conversations with, with Freddie, where he can't necessarily do much about this, this, you naughty boy, you naughty, naughty boy. Yeah. The, Oh, the, Oh man. There's a scene that's there's a scene that's so intense to me 
Um, can you just drop a, a one word reference on the prison? The prison. Oh, scene? oh yeah. The prison okay. scene yeah. is is super duper intense. Definitely one of the best movies I've seen this year. Um, will it be my movie of the year? I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's it's up there. Definitely up there. So, yeah, not the best movie though. I would say it's a contender for me, but I would have to really look at everything. And yeah, figure it yeah. Out. It's, we I just don't to... think that anybody else makes movies like this right now. No. Like, I don't think this movie in 20 years will look like it was shot in 2012. I think it looks almost like it was somehow they transported modern cameras back to 1950 yeah. and shot He's... it then. I mean, I just don't think people create images that are as rich as what he i mean i'm not trying to make it sound like he's the only director but oh, yeah. i mean the rhythms of it are odd but right down to the way the music interacts with the images it's not your usual like you don't cut to a montage where everything's edited to the rhythm of a song you have like these weird atonal rumblings and then some kind of pretty strings come in and it's it's a montage that kind of you know there's a lot of like fading from one scene to the next and time passing it's put together in a way that just not a lot of directors try to put yeah. things together. So in that sense, I think it's very singular. Right. What What is your favorite of the year so far? Just to, or you not? You don't want to go ahead and give us a clue. Beast of the Southern. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's a good clue. <laughs> that's it right now. So wait, which is it then? That the clue is Beast of the Southern Wild. <laughs> I've got this. So yeah, that's that's my favorite one so far. All right, I mean, because that's one of those movies like. I, if, when I see it years from now, was, I that, was that the Five of Goes West? Um, yeah, Five of Goes West. That was the Five of Goes West of movies. Of movies. Yeah, <laughs> so um, God, now I get to talk a little bit. Hell yeah! One movie that I did see, and I know that we all saw it, so we can all kind of chime in now. Oh, yeah. Was Ryan Johnson's Looper? Ryan Johnson, um, Beast, Beast, Brick, Brick, Beast. Brothers, uh, what's the other one? Brothers Brother Gloom. Gloom. Beast. Yeah, so this, this, th- this is... Also, he's he's directed a few episodes of Breaking Bad, Ronald. Right, you're a fan. crazy. I think Ryan Johnson's probably one of the most uh, well-deserved, you know, attention, anything he gets in terms of any of the up-and-coming directors mm-hmm. of the past five years. I think that he does well with those kind of fractured stories where it's very... Yeah. Spe- like, what's revealed in each shot in every scene is very specific, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a puzzle movie. And you kind of are putting some of it together yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Looper, uh, it's out in theaters now. But um, basically, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt. Uh, was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt, or was that Bruce Willis as a young man? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't remember Bruce Willis's eyebrows looking so uh, so weirdly like know. stuck on. I guess he does look a little like him. I don't know. Everybody, when I first saw the trailer, all my, a lot of my friends were like, oh, my God, he looks just like him. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Well, I there would be so shots where he did. I thought that was the, one of the hardest things the movie had to get past was the fact that the lead star did have a, a slightly cling-on yeah. uh, appearance <laughs> yeah. for the whole movie. I mean, he there did. was something kind of off-putting about it. But... I guess the excuse also is that he's on drugs, yeah. Too like it's like that kind of gaunt. I know when I do drugs, my face looks like uh, latex application. <laughs> real tight. Right? No, but I, but I do think that yeah, the smirk yeah. and the sort of the way he kind of purses his lips yep. and would squint. I felt like Joseph Gordon-Levitt can you know turned in another one of his likable performances, and I he seemed to be having a lot of fun kind of doing a riff on on uh, Bruce Willis's all of his little actorly ticks, which Definitely. is funny. Bruce Willis is a is a pretty. Uh, uh, laconic uh, actor like bruce willis if you know they talk about actors uh, sleepwalking through roles he is definitely an actor that does as little as is required in a lot of movies i mean right. he's good in a lot of things but you know what i mean so there's not a lot to imitate with bruce willis right so i, I, I was I kind of he's imp- pretty good in this i one. thought i was yeah well in this one he seemed like he arrived 
wanting to act. I think, I think it's <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of his movies a lot. I'm actually I'm a Bruce Willis fan, but I just think he's one of those people who has done so many movies, and occasionally you'll see one and you'll just be like, man, he's barely even enunciating yeah, words. You Bruce know? Willis does sci-fi well, man. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. Yeah, let's think of him like yeah, 12 Monkeys was, was good. Fifth, Fifth Element. Element. I yep. love that movie. Yep. And then um, I think it's just that idea of like, when when you have such a kind of rich sort of idea, mm-hmm. you're a little more enthusiastic about it. I feel like a lot of movies that get made now are just very like cut and dry, mm-hmm. paper thin. So yeah, so talk about the idea. I mean, the idea behind this film. Yeah, you, so you know, the which again, trailers. what you what you get from the trailers, which right. is maybe the f- covers about the first. Right. In fact, I would say. We all liked this movie, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we I would recommend seeing it. If yeah, you don't, definitely. if you are listening to this and you don't want to have it spoiled, mm-hmm. you can just you can you can just hit pause. You can come back to this very moment after you've seen the movie. Yeah, because we might because in order to talk about it, we'll it's talk a about plot. It a little bit. There's a few things that go beyond what you know in the trailer that are worth talking about, mm-hmm. and I just don't think we want to we don't want to ruin it for any virgin right. ears out there. But so in 2072, um, the mob kills people just like they do now. But the deal is, in 2072... 2074. They, yeah. It's 2074? Yeah. It was, well, about 30 years in the future from, from 44. Yeah. Oh. Are you sure? Positive. Kansas, 2044. I remember the... 30 years in the future. IMDb, for some reason, put 2072. That's the kind of thing I write down now. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Regardless. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, in, in, the future, in the future... Give um, or take. Give or 70s. take. 70s. Yeah. They're able to track bodies, basically. And because of that, the mob cannot kill people. In that time, so what and they get do rid is, of them as easy. And get rid of them as easy as they could. <laughs> it is seventy two. It's twenty forty four. No, no, and no. He says thirty years in the future. Right, right. That's he's in the future, but we're talking about further into the future. I know this is real weird. No, no, twenty forty four. No, no. no twenty seven. <laughs> this is actually true. In twenty seventy two. It's seventy four. No, it no, is. No. Let, let me just let me just have one it's sentence 74. real quick. Twenty forty four. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is there to kill his future self. That's IMDb, and that is thirty years after the, their loop is closed. <laughs> so twenty seventy four would be your so, math. So explain it. So explain it. So, so in the, 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 well, here's here's <laughs> maybe anytime you talk about time travel, it just becomes three people talking over one maybe another. I, I, I you just know what we need that. is ourselves from twenty years in the future to come back and explain mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No, but uh, the regardless, the, yeah, the, the, regardless of the in year. the story, time travel yeah. is invented. We pick up with the story at a point where time travel hasn't been invented yet, right. but in the future it has, right. and they quickly locked the technology down. Like it's right. not something people use, and that's kind of a conceit the movie has. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that seem like this thing happened. We thought it was going to be the next big thing, but for whatever reason, it's not. Right, right. Um, but so time travel, they've begun to use it in this, as we were saying before, since it's hard to dispose of a body in the in the future. Mm-hmm. because of crime detection techniques and they're supposed to be some kind of way to track a body right what they do is they send the body back through time to be disposed of i mean and, and joseph gordon levitt joe his character is a looper i mean he's this 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 is an employment structure that the mob from the future from 2070 whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it has set Calm up down, this, Ronald. has set up <laughs> a system where they actually send somebody back from them from 2070 whatever mm-hmm. um, to control these loopers in 2044 and these men basically are there to receive these bodies coming back from the mob mm-hmm. to dispose of them collect their winnings or their earnings and you know live this life of you know excess drugs like you said he, mm-hmm. he takes um, there's, you know, the one little caveat to their job is that eventually what they start to see is that the the future version of themselves 
is sent back as well. Right. And when they off these individuals immediately, they collect the money off their back. Like I said, usually it's silver. Mm-hmm. And when they go to do this and they find gold, they know that that was the future version of themselves. Yeah. And that's what they call closing their loop. And they basically take that gold and they get to live their next 30 years knowing that that's the point that they would be sent back and, and killed. Right. And in that future piece, the 2070, their body will never be found and basically is nowhere to be found. Right. That's the general idea of the movie. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Paul Dano is in this movie too. Yeah. Who was you know we talked about and, yeah the movie blood. picks up with yeah. with a few characters where it seems like th- this idea of closing your loop, which is mm-hmm. what they call it when yeah. when that your present when you have to kill your future self, and then you yeah you retrieve the gold so you know you're kind of off the job you just mm-hmm. disappear and go yeah. live a happy life. But you live you tend to see that these guys live like a hedonistic life. They don't really feel yeah. connected to anything because they know they're going to die. But they have all this money, so it seems like a trade. But it seems like it's happening to a lot of uh, Joe's friends. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more rapidly. More so often than used to yeah. happen. And so you sort of get the sense that he sees everybody's being, you know, being asked to close their loop, and they're kind of winnowing down all of these loopers. And that's kind of where the the real plot of the story kicks in is just with mm-hmm. this notion that for some reason someone in the future is 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 doing away with more loopers than than used to happen and then it starts to happen to his his friend Seth, Seth yeah. who I can just say poor Seth right yeah, really okay. man. poor guy there's a there's a gruesome Oh, fucking man. see. You want to talk a little bit about about poor Seth? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, first off, Joe gives him up. Let's yeah, just yeah. point that out. Yeah, he doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds him, and that's essentially what it is. Like he sees, like Abe is the leader. Mm-hmm. He kind of throws at him that you know I, I got you into this lifestyle. You're poor, and I saw you're going to be a terrible person, and I got you into this life. You're making mm-hmm. money. You're doing well. Just tell me where he is. So there's a scene where <sighs> future Seth gets caught, and you're seeing Seth. Present day Seth. Well, you mean no, no, the other way. Yeah, present day. Well, present pre- day Seth gets caught, and you see the future Seth like trying. Oh yes, to drive oh the yes. Car. I'm sorry, it's the other way around. Okay, so, um, and what's happening is you're seeing older Seth get beat up a little bit. It's like a little couple punches at first, and then things start getting broken. <laughs> then things start getting cut off. And then you're like, oh, my God, this guy's getting murdered in front of you. Yeah, the, the way they use the time travel, I mean, I just thought that was one of the cleverest uses of time travel yes. in the story, but also completely gruesome because what we're seeing is as something presumably happens to present-day Seth, wherever they've yeah, yeah. they've captured him, presumably, mm-hmm. they're torturing him, and as they, like, say, cut a finger off of him, future Seth, who's 30 years older, looks down and sees, like, you know, like the digits gone, and it's <laughs> and it's like scarred over, as though that he's had that wound for thirty years. Right. And I thought that malleable yeah. effect of the that that intervening thirty years, the way that that changes based on what happens in the present. It's the old sort of sci-fi premise of like it kind of messes with the timeline to have two versions of of the same yeah, person in definitely. the one moment. This this movie, I feel like, makes that much more concrete. Yeah, there's a couple things I think are really cool about the movie, and I guess we talked about this a little bit too. First thing. I, I didn't talk to him about, but um, basically the idea that he's living this simple life, it's presented uh, very nicely, and then Abe is presented like this very nice leader, mm-hmm. and then it gets very nasty very quickly when when you go outside of what you're supposed to do, right. which I think is incredible, because that's, that's a lot of how anything bad is presented in mm-hmm. real life. Then the other thing is the explanation of time or the lack thereof yeah. that makes the movie so beautiful. There are a lot of scenes where the idea of time travel comes up 
and he just say, oh, it's too complicated. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to explain it. Just know that this affects this. That's it. Yeah. And that open dispelling anything outside of what they're telling you makes this movie so easy to follow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. You think, oh, man, maybe other movies about time travel have been shitty. And maybe they should have simplified it this way so that you well, can Well, I see. think that you almost needed that history of time travel movies in your head so right. that when that scene comes exactly. up and, that, and, the, and the questions come up, and, and basically there's a couple of ways that different characters say it, but the notion gets put across of like, don't question it, this is the way it works, this is the way we're going to do it, don't right. go outside this. And it's it's almost like you see it as, well, don't go outside this for the usual reasons in time travel because, mm-hmm. you know, the butterfly effect of you do one thing and it could change all this other stuff. Right. But there's also this sense that they're trying to, they don't, it's, it's a boss telling an employee basically don't ask questions this yeah. is just what you're supposed to do yeah and so that organization which starts off seeming like a system that might kind of work it ends up i mean it, there's a it's not really apparent until midway in that there's another force in the future it's not just the, an extension of his current bosses mm-hmm. and so the real threat is coming from kind of a an unseen person that we don't know anything about until, mm-hmm. you know, halfway into the movie or more, I would say. Or maybe round about halfway. Yeah, about halfway. Um, because Abe, who seems benevolent at first and then kind of a threat, isn't... I mean, he is sort of the big bad guy, but he's not really the the, the biggest concern that the that the characters have, you know. Yeah. And Jeff Daniels was... It was great to see him play a character with some real menace. Yeah, yeah, because it's... It doesn't happen very often. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I definitely agree with you. I, I do like that... You know, there wasn't a whole lot of explanation to mm-hmm. uh, the whole idea of time travel. You basically mm-hmm. just commit to it and accept that it works. I think that also kind of leaves a little bit, I guess, a little bit too much uh, in terms of room for there to be, I guess, some plot holes. Yeah. You know, I think um, when we talk about the, you know, the scene with Seth and, and you and you start talking about the paradox and, you know, the different timelines that we are seeing, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about. Seth being basically mutilated and, and, and how it affects the guy that came back, the future self, and see that happen. I mean, you kind of get the sense that there is a timeline. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that one. But then through the rest of the film, there are certain events that happen that make you almost, you have to think that there's multiple timelines right. that things, you know, offshoot of, you know, or, 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 or at least different possibilities that are sort of coexisting. At the, yeah, at the same time. And that's kind of like, I think a lot of things I've seen and heard and talked with some people about that I've seen it, uh, that might have been an issue. I think, if anything, that was my only issue. But that said, I think the reason and what I like about it, th- that they put that out there in the film, mm-hmm. they say that we're not explaining this because the reality is, and we talked about this before we recorded the, this podcast, time travel really isn't what this movie's about. Yeah. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's it's a device that sets up what we're really supposed to be understanding about mm-hmm. this movie, which I think is really cool because one the studio behind this did not really promote it at all in the in the marketing for the movie. Mm-hmm. It was a time travel action adventure sci-fi film. But then like John said, halfway through it, you get into it and you're introduced finally to oh, where well where's Emily Blunt? Oh, there she mm-hmm. is. She's at a farmhouse. She's just, you know, Mother with a son living in the middle of a cornfield, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, "Oh wow, where does this?" Just her, her kid, and then some mute guy who walks around at night. Yeah, with a sandwich holding a board sign. On. Yeah, like some guy from the yeah. city wandering into this, and that's something cool too. Is like it's in this Kansas area where somehow you get from this Kansas field so quickly to the city. Yeah. in a future where the suburbs and right, you know, the metro is it's it's there. They mm-hmm. touch very easily, which I thought was cool. But that's on the side. But the um, farm shift. I could see how that would be hard for some people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because at the at the heart of it, in the beginning, it just seems like a a matrixy 
sort of tone to it mm-hmm. and then it just gets very different and that it, it changes a lot so i could see how some people wouldn't really be receptive to that well that that shift in the plot also comes pretty much at the same time that we sort of learn that the bruce willis character's goals are maybe not something we can fully get behind like what he's trying yeah. to do so you're sort yeah if you went into this movie wanting to see those two guys team up and try to beat the future or, yeah. or like get out of the situation they were in it's really not about that it's right. much more about them having totally different paths and kind of wanting the same like they both have something slightly noble about what they want, but yeah. but you know in the in the course of the story, it's hard not to start rooting more for uh, young young Joe to kind of you know change the future. Yeah, it's it's funny how that happens. There's a lot of shift mm-hmm. uh, where you where you you like think, oh okay, then he's a good he's a good guy. There's like, a point of no return for Bruce Willis's character. Yeah. Oh yeah, kids kids being hurt. I'll, <laughs> I'm I'm not against it. I'm not against it in movies. I'm not against it, but I do think that when a movie maker throws that in, they yeah, know they're clearly that, trying to like they, make this person well, the they, villain. They not I mean not even that, but they know what they're doing. They yeah. know they're getting risky. What I find about putting kids in jeopardy, it feels cheap. But I agree with you. I think sometimes it's a way a movie to let you know, well, this movie's going to go. You know, right. it's like all rules are off once once a yeah. bad thing happens to a kid. Sometimes a dog. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a little bit of a cheap trick, but it definitely makes you go, it's, all it's, right, they're not playing around. But sometimes it can be done very very cheaply. Like mm-hmm. you, but but I feel like in this movie it's not done. Oh, it's no, done it's, very well because I mean it's it's the it's the motivation for why Ojo yeah. is doing what he's doing. You know, yeah. and and whether it's warranted or not, and mm-hmm. and all his in, all his information is pretty questionable that he yeah. comes back with <laughs> yeah. you know it's kind of like i guess he's going to something right. you know and and young joe has a piece of the puzzle that he's yeah. holding on to so you kind of go with it and you're like, okay, there is something there mm-hmm. but i mean i think the scene that we're talking about is really powerful because we do realize wow even old joe coming back and lecturing young joe about change this change that there's things that are more important in life. And, and he comes back with a noble cause. He, he loses something and he wants to change it. We, we find out that he actually comes back on his own free will. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's up for discussion. But his motivation is is, is this scene with the, the first right. scene that we see. With the, and when we see that scene, you, you realize, like, even though he's lectured and he's got this mighty, mighty... Uh, uh, task at hand to change his future mm-hmm. uh, in some way. Um, it's not. It's not something that you really want to get behind. You know, yeah. it's something that makes I think Young Joe realize like, okay, well, that is maybe why I need to change something. Not just because you're telling That's me. That's true. You know, this is what you feel and what you experience. Like he's able to see mm-hmm. the future version of himself making that mistake or making that extreme decision. You know, and you kind of go with that. And I think it. I love that there wasn't really like a true <clears throat> hero in the movie. I mean, right, yeah. there's a lot of questions you'd ask about what anybody in the movie's doing. Even the mother, you know, in some mm-hmm. of the decision that she's deciding for her son, who obviously yeah. the young boy uh, named Sid, who that kid that played hit, oh, was yeah. amazing. I'm a fan of when the screen goes black and you're actually left still kind of processing mm-hmm. what's going on. Agreed. Uh, and this was a great example of that. It, and plus it's an original story, not a remake, not a sequel. Seriously. You know, It's good to see that. Mm-hmm. Especially now, man. Especially now. Yeah. You know, I don't. Know, I, I would definitely recommend checking out Looper. Same. same. I, I feel like, um, in terms of originality, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt. I really like Ryan Johnson. I, I loved Brick when it came out. Um, a very different film, but I mean, a, a big fan of his work, and I kind of am very excited to see. It's and it's really cool. Like I kind of was mentioning before, it's kind of nice to see him working in a studio system. I mean, just. 
I'm not about to say, you know, idea of like a selling out to a studio because I don't feel like this film in any means makes me feel like he sold out anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like a great story and some storytelling and some visual flair that this guy has, you know, in his in his head can get to a larger audience with this. A sign of a good movie is if you take somebody that's uh, in a normal story supposed to be an awful person, mm-hmm. you're rooting for him. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of a good story. He's a he's a killer. I don't know, Looper, check it out. One, I mean, one question, I, just yeah. as sort of a what do you guys think, yeah. uh, puzzling it out kind of question. Um, is Kid Blue the child version of Abe? I think so. They both have a little southern twang. The relationship there is oh, very... He was, a pretty, he was a pretty big screw-up. And there's and, a father figure thing yeah. going on that we don't quite understand. And it Why seems at a couple so? points, like, Kid Blue is about to be... He's mm-hmm. like, oh, boy, I oughta... And then and, he would let him go. Like, that was... And I think also with Kid Blue, I like the way they set him up as kind of a doofus, but he kept coming back. Um, there is one other little plot hole that, that I guess I would just address with you guys. Um, uh, uh, do you think that the reason why the, all that awful stuff happened to Seth, mm-hmm. instead of just killing him, because clearly they can't, they could just kill a guy and his future self would just disappear. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a, a product of Kid Blue being a sadistic fuck and that's the way he chose to do it? Because it seems obvious yeah. from events later in the film that if they wanted to get rid of the future self, all they had to do was capture Seth and kill him, and then his future self would disappear. So yeah. Yeah. do you think that's like... Because that didn't seem like the way the organization worked. Like, that was, like, right. unusually vicious. And we do see crazy. that Kid Blue is, like, sadistic. Like well, he's, I, But yeah. you also wonder... Uh, yeah, I, I think yes to the question, but I think it's also, like, Abe's the one that says, get the doctor. Yeah. So you almost wonder, like, Abe has that same sadistic nature because yeah. it is him. Right. There's right. obviously an easier means to, to wrong, write this wrong, and he decided right. to kind of have just, a little fun with it. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a really cool movie. But so. yeah, check it out. Looper, yeah. it's in theaters. I would, uh, as always, you can check out the websites, movieshmovie.net. Uh, you know, we continue to throw trailers and, you know, sometimes movies that we don't get to review in the podcast that we kind of see as a one-off, we throw up there. Um, and also some news items. But uh, mm-hmm. we have the movieshmovie at gmail.com for any suggestions, feedback, questions. And then, you know, the most important thing is probably the iTunes, you know, iTunes podcast, just um, subscribe, rate it, star it, do whatever you can to help us kind of get it on the list of search results about it. Just do it. (laughs) Don't do it. And then Mixcloud as well. Don't act like you're going to do it. Don't 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 do that. (laughs) Don't do that to us because we will find you. And we will kill you. (laughs) Do you have people? Wow. Do you have Ronald? You're saying that if anyone is listening to this. And they either are listening and enjoying and they don't intend to leave a review, or if they do intend to leave a negative review, that mm-hmm. someone is looking for them already. Yeah, flim flamming, a.k.a. dicking around, a.k.a. fucking around, whatever you want to call it. They're doing it right now. And there's somebody there. A looper. The future version of yourself that knew <laughs> that they didn't leave the review. Exactly. Okay. It's it's a looper and Liam Neeson team. <laughs> From of, Taken? Yep. Oh, Taken 2. You got taken that coming two. out. Yeah, Taken 2. I don't care. I don't either. <laughs> Me either. You know, it's like, it used You're to not be... You're in Taken it, Well, I think it nah. used to be, like, it's surprising and kind of cool to see Liam Neeson in that type of role. Right. But now you just... He's, it's no surprise. Once you once you fought wolves, I don't think that you can go back you, to... Wolves? <laughs> you got wolves, uh, alien battleships, or whatever they are. Yeah. Um, he was in the A-Team. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's just gone deep into the action... He, he's he was also like in, a, in both of the Clash of the Titans or the Clash of the Titans yeah, and he, Wrath he of the Titans. The cracker, yeah, he released the Kraken. Yeah, he released the Kraken.
Release the Kraken. Well, hit us up on the sites. Uh, make sure if you're not already subscribed and this is the first time listening, please do. And if you always listen to us, thank you so much. And, you know, continue to tell people to check us out. I thank you. It's uh, much appreciated. And as always, you've made my day. Oh, my day. I don't know yeah. about theirs. You know, my day was improved by this experience. Yeah, too. Okay. yeah good, good. man. This was needed. I needed to talk about movies with my friends. <laughs> All right. Be All my right. friends. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye.